Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the week of June 8th, 2018. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Quack. And Ben. What's up? Uh, Aaron will not be joining us this week because uh, he is off visiting his sister and doing something other than watching a bunch of anime. Yeah, I finally How found dare. my cricket noises and I can't use them. <laughs> How dare he have somewhat of a social life. Yeah, real um, life. No, no real life. Anime <laughs> life. As always, you can find show notes for this episode of BakaCast at www.projecttarhi.net or at BakaCast at Wait, hold on. No, that's wrong. Or at www.audioentropy.com. So, (laughs) let's start with Full Metal Panic, Invisible Victory, episodes six through seven, where, goddammit, they did the Superman trick. That totally was, what's his name, the blonde pilot. That was Kurtz. Yeah, that totally was Kurtz and not just a new character. In my defense, though, anime does have a habit of making multiple characters with similar character designs. <clears throat> and they gave no indication in the previous episode that this was at all part of Tessa's, Tessa's plan. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and we also find out that... Uh... Nami is a whispered. Yeah, which I feel isn't mu- that much of a real reveal. Like, nah. pretty much as soon as she appeared, I was like, okay, she's definitely not just going to be like a normal girl who just happens to work with mechs. Like, she's totally going to be a whispered, just like Chidori and Tessa are. Uh, and she is, of course, going to get a crush on. Uh, uh, Sosuke, which is 100% what's ha- what happened. I swear, Sosuke is like catnip to Whispered. I don't know how. I mean, the dude's fine. Like, he's he's okay. But surely there are other options, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, these two episodes were, you know, perfectly fun. Um, I'm trying to remember what... Ep- Episode 6 is largely like a montage, yeah, if I remember yeah, correctly. Let's see, yeah, episode yeah, episode 6, it, it shows them, uh, it, yeah, it shows them, like, you know, winning, going, you know, on a hot streak, because, you know, of Sosuke's super piloting skills. And... Yeah, it's like, half of it is them on the win streak showing the montage, and then the back half is Sosuke and Kurtz, a.k.a. Lemon, uh, getting arrested by a crooked police officer because yeah. they're winning too much. Well, and also because the uh, yeah the crooked uh, the crooked uh, police chief is uh, taking orders from amalgam. Yeah, yeah. Which it, initially it it looks like just uh, the the typical local uh, uh, corruption, but then it's revealed that it's not just that. It's also that amalgam is in on it as well. Um, so then episode seven is primarily about dealing with Amalgam and Sosuke basically going to the illegal fight and winning it, uh, in a very clever fashion and Kurtz revealing himself as being Kurtz. 
Yeah, because the yeah, because uh, because <clears throat> turns out they had planned this all along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it's not like. <laughs> yeah, it's not like. They would be. They would send Sosuke all on his own to do whatever. Yeah, although you know there wasn't really much left of uh, Mithril after episode four. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, I assume there's still quite a few just sort of unnamed grunts who help run the submarine, but in terms of like name characters, there's not a whole lot that survived. <laughs> terms of the important people yeah <laughs> uh but yeah um these these uh, I, I like these episodes i do it is frustrating to me that nami is just is becoming yet another whisper who is in love with sosuke that's kind of disappointing i was hoping that she would be a little more her own person well she is uh, she is a, she is at least she does at least have a distinctive personality from Chidori. Um so that's something. But yeah, I wish that they had taken a slightly different direction with her uh RE Sosuke. Um so I think I'll give these two episodes fours. Yeah, I'll give them fours. Um, I, I I enjoyed them, but I wish that the they had taken some slightly different directions with the plot. But yeah, other than that, like the the fight scenes are still fun. This show still has good animation. Uh, it's it's still a perfectly enjoyable plot line. Um, so yeah, I, I'm still looking forward to the the next episodes. Uh, and also for Nami to inevitably join Mithril in some capacity. Uh, anyway, let's talk about Masotan episodes 7 through 8 which I did not watch so it's all passed on to you and Ben okay wait Larry and Ben I'm uh, I'm I'm not doing too well yeah, today so episode 7 is, is sort of interesting uh, in that yeah it turns out like the yeah the guy who was going on about like yeah who was who, 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 the the yeah you know, the political higher up, the political higher up who'd been uh, you know who who'd been hanging around who'd been hanging around and uh, you know giving directions you know giving directions uh, yeah he's basically he like so he orders uh, Okanogi the uh, mechanic who was uh, who's in love with <laughs> who's basically in love with uh, Hisone. To, uh, if you want to call it that, yeah, yeah, he's smitten by her. Let's put it that yeah. like that better. But yeah, but but basically, the guy or basically because this guy is uh, he's worried that uh, if any of the pilots like fall in love with humans, then their uh, their bond with their dragon would get weaker. Uh, yeah, that's that is what he mumbled. You know. So he, so what he wants, so what he wants uh, Okanogi to do is to uh, is to go out with uh, to go out with Hisone and then dump her unceremoniously. Yeah, we need to we need to put that in there too. Right, and basically make it so that you know she'll be like 
that she basically swears off men forever, or at least for the rest of her career. Um, <clears throat> Anybody want to guess how that went? Yeah, it turned out that, well, okay, he didn't really have to wor- have anything to worry about where Hisone was concerned. <laughs> you know, because Hisone was like, he's like, basically had Okanogi in the friend zone from the get-go. And was very happy just to have a friend. Uh, yes. Uh, so was her dragon. Yeah. The other fun subplot is the... Uh, the other fun subplot in this episode was related to, you know, the minister being worried about, uh, you know, any of the, the pilots falling in love. Is... Uh, he orders, uh, let's see, he orders one of the pilots to take notes uh, and to, to observe. Girl chat. Does, yeah, yeah. To, to observe and, like, take notes about, like, basically whatever relationship gossip that she can, you know, that she can get and figure out, like, you know, and, and figure out, like, okay, who's likely to go out with who? And so. That doesn't work out very well either. Yeah, it uh, it was it was really funny. It, 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 it funny and insane in the same breath because you know you're looking at the uh, the the Miss Untouchable that had the dragon that wouldn't transform. All of a sudden, she kind of gets a soft spot for the loud mouth, and you're like, yeah. That was kind of expected, but well, that wasn't unexpected, but yeah, okay. Well, well the thing about that, well, that sort of works because it, because what happens is, you know, like, yeah, she like, okay, like early in the episode, she has this, early in the episode, she goes on this rant about all the things that she doesn't like, you know, all the characteristics, all the characteristics of men that she doesn't like, and so basically... You know, that loudmouth guy who's been, like, you know, who's, like, talking about picking up all the girls and all that. That guy is, like, turns out he's, like, everything she hates in it. <laughs> everything she hates in a guy. Uh, especially, especially because uh, he uh, he uses he uses uh, the Chan honorific. You know, mm-hmm. calling her Eru-Chan, which she, yep. she can't stand. Uh, yeah. And uh, instead of calling her Hoshino, which is her, you know, the name and, she prefers. And, and, and they get into that competitive running contest only for us to find out that uh, he says something nice about her in a kind of offhanded way. And that's what, she, wait a minute, she said, what about me? Well, well, maybe you're not so bad after all. Also, maybe. he starts calling her Hoshino instead of Arrow-chan. Yeah. Which yeah. shows that he's starting to give up. He's starting, you know, he's starting to change a little bit. <clears throat> it was all in all led up to the reason that uh, they've been doing all this weird training. Yeah, which that comes up in episode eight, in which, which it turns out that there's a very important reason why they have these dragons around. And it's not just because they look cool. 
or they're good in a fight. Now, it turns out that they are part of a, uh, a religious ritual that if it fails, then the country would be destroyed. Because, yeah, that island that they were in in episodes uh, 5 and 6, yeah, it turns out that island is actually a dragon. And Okay, that got a lot more serious than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah the island, yeah, so the island is a dragon, and every 74 years, uh, it wakes up, and the, dra- the other dragons basically need to lead it to a safe place. And yep. because if it goes out of control, well, it's a dragon the size of an island, and therefore capable of wiping out the whole country. <laughs> yeah, that'd be bad. <laughs> Could be interesting. Right. <clears throat> now you gotta re- you gotta remember here for a second who wrote this. So bear that in mind as we continue. Well, yeah, and right. So so this episode is all about their uh, is all about is is basically a training arc where they have to tr- they have where they where the pilots have to train to be able to fly continuously for three days. And basically, yeah, he didn't stutter, folks. Yeah, because uh, because the thing about the dragon the size of an island is that it's not very fast, and the process of leading it to where it needs to go is going to take three days. So that's three days of the yeah, dragon but... being in the air. I know how that works. I played Monster Hunter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which means that yeah, <laughs> right. So well, it's it's learning how to sleep while you put your dragon on autopilot. That was the yes. interesting caveat, right? So, so it needs to be. So it's basically training the pilots to trust in their dragons enough that they can literally fly in their sleep. Yep. Yeah. Dream about flying in your dreams. Your dragon will sense your dreams and keep flying. Okay, I've heard of autopilots, but that's taking it to a whole new. Yeah. Definition. And so that was kind of that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then we need to the lady with the uh, yogurt cart. We need to uh, we need yeah. to explain who yeah, she is. Yeah. Right. So it turned out that uh, it, yeah. So it turned out the yogurt lady was actually a dragon pilot back in the day, and she was on the mission from seventy four years ago, which means she's like in her nineties. Uh-huh. Um, she's got su- she's just got such a wonderful, charming, warm personality. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. She lays she lays into those girls. I don't think a battleship could have laid out a better broadside <laughs> than she hit them yeah. girls with. There's a great. They had no idea. Yeah. There's a great bit with. Yeah. There's a great bit when like, you know. When, like, the girls are starting to lose it from, like, going without sleep, and, you know, she, like, yells at him like a drill sergeant. It's beautiful. Uh, yells at him like a grandmother. <laughs> so, Dusty, yeah, it would be worth the view. I know you kind of ho-hum lukewarm on it, but I think these two episodes you would actually probably get a kick out of. Yeah. Well, because it's especially that the the cart lady is voiced by Romy Park, and Romy Park has got a has always had a range to her voice, and when she cuts loose, 
It's it's pretty awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll catch up on yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I'm giving these episodes fives. So I enjoyed the hell out of them. Yeah, I uh, I have to uh, I have to agree with your fives. They were. Uh... It it only also they address an issue that I was having with that, which is the problem of uh, like <clears throat> the problem that like this is about a military a, a military organization in peacetime. So you know, for a military story, the stakes were seemed to be pretty low, and this actually addressed this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Tape dancing shoes on, moving right along. Yep. Uh, so now we go on to uh, My Hero Academy, episodes 46 and 47, where the heroes make their rescue attempt. And it almost works. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah, they, they had... Yeah, well, that was in episode forty-seven, forty-six. I mean, yeah, episode that was that was really cool the way it the way it ended up, you know, the way it, yeah. Uh, so forty, but uh, but forty-six, what forty-six was especially interesting for for showing, you know, for showing the consequences of the previous arc. Yeah, so episode forty-six has, um. I believe 46 is the, uh, uh, Bak- no, not Bakugo, it's, uh, Todoroki, um, Deku, uh, Ida, right. uh, the, the red-haired uh, guy. Uh, Kirishima and, uh, Yaoyorozu. Kirishima and Yaoyorozu basically teaming up to, um, like, try and help. Uh, like do reconnaissance basically they agree that they're not going to get into a fight uh because that would be too far um so instead they they compromise with ida uh who wants them to stay put like the heroes told them to uh and said they'll just do reconnaissance and if they get into any trouble they will immediately run away um and and which to be fair they they don't get into a fight (laughs) uh and there is a pretty good scene of them attempting to uh, disguise themselves in the most ridiculous fashion possible. Yes, that was hilarious. And, and, and my heroine Momo shows up. She says, "All right, I give you guys the tracker, but I'm going with yeah. You're not leaving me behind." Yeah, it, it actually what was sort of interesting was uh, yeah, you know, Momo basically buys them uh, buys them new outfits, and and they're like, "Well, wait." couldn't you just use your power to make these things? And she was like, no, because that would, uh, because that would wreck the economy. Yeah. <laughs> when it turns out, no, she really just wanted to go shopping. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, she is kind of correct, but also I'm pretty sure that just, like, making a few extra copies wouldn't crash the... <laughs> no, it wouldn't, but yes, she just wanted to go shopping. Yeah, well, I that seems to be something that the female of the species enjoys doing is shopping. I uh, I do like that Yaya Rozu is getting more stuff to do and is becoming more of a more frequently a major character because I do like her a lot. Yeah. Um 
And I felt she was very underserved by the previous arc um, with the whole, like, uh, internships. Um, but yeah, I, I like this episode. I like... I feel like Ida is very often seen, shown as, like, a kind of killjoy, but I was very much on his side, and I feel like the show felt he was making... The show portrayed his points as reasonable as well. Yeah, well, and also because it showed that he had learned from his... That he had learned from his previous experience, which... Yeah. (laughs) Where he, you know, he went off on his own to try and fight Stan and got his ass kicked. Um, Pretty much so, yeah. uh, And, you know, so he really took that to heart. Also, what... The other thing that was interesting about episode 46 was how it showed, uh, like, the damage that uh, that Deku was taking from, you know, overusing his power. Yeah. Well, his power is not still uncontrollable. Well, yeah. It's, it's not it's, so much It's not so much overuse as he, he's, he can't find the switch to turn it off and on. Well, now, it's not even that, because he actually has that. The problem is, is that he can't do that and win, <laughs> because it's just, it's the, the problem is that his body can't handle can't handle him can't handle like his power at full strength. Uh, Which, any way you look at it, that's pretty yeah. ugly. Yeah, because you know, because you know, back in you know against that muscle guy, he really had to go full strength in order. He really had to go full strength in order to win. Otherwise, he would have just gotten owned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the point... Uh, yeah, he can actually, like, control how much strength he uses now. Uh, it's just that he often uses uh, uses more strength than his body can yet take. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um... I really liked episode 46 uh, for the interactions between um, the kids. And then 47 was was really kind of neat because it uh, had... It, it basically showed that the, um, the Academy was taking steps to, like, do what they can um, by using a pre- press conference both as a way of... Uh, trying to sort of do some PR damage control, uh, but also as a way to lull the villains into a false sense of security. Um, Because basically while the press conference was happening, the other teachers were mounting an assault. Yeah. Yes. And it would have worked if it weren't for that pesky all-for-one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, who finally makes his appearance at the end? Everything is going swimmingly. Uh, the sort of the villains kind of threaten Bakugo. Bakugo doesn't isn't intimidated. Uh, then suddenly, uh, All Might, as he's want to do, just burst through a wall, Kool Aid Man style. Of course. And then his buddies tie up the villains. Best genist. Uh, uses his powers to tie up the the ne- the nemus. No, I believe they are nomus. 
Nomus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but then it looks like everything's in the bag and the villains are defeated. Uh, but then suddenly Nomus start appearing out of thin air from like weird goopy voids. Uh, and it's revealed that these voids are being caused by, uh, all for one who suddenly appears where genist and, uh, Mountain Lady. Uh, Miss Mountain. Mount Lady. Or Mount whatever Lady. her name is. Mount Lady. Yeah. Uh, and then he just... Genist attempts to uh, bind him up, but then just everything explodes. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's meant to be implied that Genist and Mount Lady just got vaporized. It if seems it, like that's what, what they're looking, saying. That's what it was looking like, yeah. Well, which is unfortunate because Genus is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, um, so now the kids who happen to Rakana, who happen to scout the place where uh, Genus and Mount Lady are, now have to find a way to hide from All for One, who just showed up where they are, yeah, and just immediately annihilated. Uh, two very powerful heroes. Right. So think about All for One, and this was established in the previous season, is that he, uh, his his power is the ability to steal other people's powers. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's dangerous because he has got, like, you know, like, a whole lot of tricks. Yeah, it also make, does make you wonder why they stole Bakugo, because his power is explosions. Now, they, now, they weren't trying to steal his power. What they were trying to do was they were trying to turn him into a villain. Oh, okay. And Bakugo was not having any of that, for which yeah, I respect I... him a whole lot. Uh, I think they're doing a much better job in this particular arc of explaining why Bakugo is the way he is. Um, cause I feel like in the first season, um, and I will stand by my hatred of Bakugo in the first season, uh, because I feel he was written very shallowly and just kind of appeared to be a run of the mill asshole bully. Um, whereas I feel in this season, they are giving quite a bit more depth to Bakugo that makes him much more than just that and explains, does a better job of explaining why he is the way he is. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... Well, that's the thing, is that when I when I saw the first season, I had already read ahead in the manga, so, like, I knew that that wasn't all there was to Bakugo's character you, while I was watching, while I was watching the show. So, you know, I wasn't as turned off. I wasn't as turned off as you were by what was happening, because I knew what was... Because I knew that I knew that there was gonna they were gonna reveal more to his character. Yeah, you can see how without context though he would come off as the worst, right? Yes, <laughs> in that first season at least. Your basic died in a little jerk. But yeah, you know, but yeah, but even in the first season, yeah, yeah, even in the first season, you know. Like, they had an episode, you know, the episode where he loses, you know, where he, where he loses in that exercise against Deku and, uh, and Uraraka. Like, that whole thing, 
you know, that episode was called Bakugo's Start Line. And, you know, you know, so it showed that his whole previous pattern of behavior of being an asshole was a character flaw that he needed to get over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This show's yeah, got anyway. some character flaws to it. Yeah, so uh, I think these two episodes were extremely solid. Uh, I will give them both fives. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah I can't wait to see uh, the next episode. Yeah. Uh, also, let's now talk about uh, Loop on the Third Part 5, Episodes 8 and 9, <coughs> which were extremely fun episodes. Um, my favorite... Episode 8, in particular, had one of my best jokes from this entire series, uh, where uh, basically um, Lupin and... Um, oh, I can't remember the gun guy's Jigen. name ever. Jigen. Jigen. are on the run, are escaping in a car, and Lupin's trying to call Goemon for backup. Goemon, because he is the most stereotypical samurai to ever exist uh, is sitting under a waterfall meditating he attempts to answer his smartphone but because his finger is wet uh, from the waterfall the haptic feedback does not work (laughs) so he is not able to answer his cell phone and just throws it on the ground (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and then later he has to get some kids to help him read his text messages. Yeah, and then later on, Lupin sends him a text message, and yeah, and like he has to handle hand it to a group of kids who are following him because they're like, "What is this dude's deal?" <laughs> uh, and it is the best thing. I love going on so much. <clears throat> yeah. What's also interesting about this episode about this this arc is how it, 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 it sort of brings Lupin into the modern world in a different way than the previous arc did, but still brings him into the modern world. Where in this, because, because like, the whole source of the plot here, like the, like the plot behind the whole thing, is about the politics of immigration in France. Yeah, it. I recall, I think it's in like the episodes, or maybe it's nine actually, maybe this is ahead, but in one of the episodes they actually specifically mentioned that like one of the plots is to, like part of the villain's plot is to gain like uh, political support for his right-wing populist agenda uh, that, um, that requires... Uh, fear mongering about the the terrorist attacks that are happening, which it hits extremely close to home, which is uh, for what is happening in France and other areas of the West. Um, like it, it's what happened to the U.S. with Trump. It's what's happening to France right now. Uh, it's hap- it, heck, it's even happening to Canada. Um, it's happening all over the West where populist fascism is gaining more support than it has in the past. A somewhat, a, a, a like honestly frightening amount of support. Uh, and to see Lupin acknowledge and reference this is not something I was expecting 
from basically any Japanese animation, much less Lupin. And it's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. Of course, they uh, they you know they turn it up, they turn it up a notch by having the. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, the whole MacGuffin is this basically book of you know all of the uh, the French intelligence services uh, dirty laundry. Uh, yeah, yeah. And which, yeah, of course, like they they like they filter it through a, 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 a typical loop on plot line, right? And right, and so the and so the you know yeah the right wingers are you know using the, the existence of this using the existence of this notebook to to keep the uh, <clears throat> to keep the uh, the police from uh, using their full strength against the terrorists. So that, uh, so that, you know, thus increasing the, increasing the, uh, you know, increasing the, uh, pace of, you know, and the severity of terrorist attacks, uh, so that the, uh, you know, so the right-wing politician can get more political support, which is, I mean, that gets into a kind of, uh, I mean, that gets into... Yeah, which is not really how it works in real life it's more that yeah like uh like a terrorist attack happens and then the populist fascist blames it all on like legal or illegal peaceful immigrants uh often both illegal and legal peaceful immigrants and it's like they're they're the problem those dang mexicans uh, and then that's what gets the support, not necessarily like a rash of even more terrorist attacks. Yeah, uh, the terrorist attacks are just an excuse to blame everybody's problems on immigrants. Um, but yeah, like the 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 sentiment is good, I think, even yeah. if the uh, yeah, it, some of the finer details of the commentary are somewhat inaccurate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that gets into conspiracy theories that have not proven yeah, to be true, a, but have definitely... Yeah, they essentially get into false flag territory, but... <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, but these episodes were really great. Uh, yeah, what was also, what was especially interesting was it, how uh, uh, Albert... Who's uh, like? That's the rival character, right? Yes, he's that. He's the rival. He's working. He works. He works for the French. He works for the French intelligence uh, service. Uh, but it turned out that back in the day, he was a comrade of Lupin and had uh, worked with him on uh, heists. Uh, yeah, early in Lupin's career. And yeah, I, I really like that backstory. Yeah, and yeah, it also turns out that yeah, Lupin was just a name that he had assumed that you know, yeah, he's not really the grandson of you know the original Lupin. He's just yeah. he's a guy who took on the title of Lupin the <laughs> Third, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, the episode eight, nine is also where they introduce uh, sort of the uh, uh, female villains, the antagonists there, and they have some great designs. Uh, I especially love the extremely extremely punk rock lady with metal claws and spikes in 
in her body, basically. Yeah. And she has a fantastic fight scene with Goemon, um, which, does that happen in episode 9? Yeah, that, that, that was in episode 9. No, that was in episode Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so that happens in episode 9, and it's super rad, and like, the way that Goemon ends up killing her is just super brutal. <laughs> Uh, oh wait, that could be episode 10. Oh wait, no, Goemon's fight is in the is in episode 10. Lupin's fight with her is in 9. Right. Yeah. So you have that to look forward to. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they haven't uh, turned down the violence in this thing, because, uh... Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, like, when people get, when people actually get shot, they die. Yeah, which I appreciate. Like, there's none of this, like, uh... There's none of this, like, Hollywood um, sort of toning down of bullet wounds. It's like, no, guns suck. Like, guns are guns are bad for your health. Uh, and they do not look good when they hit you. Um, which I appreciate that Lupin portrays them as such. <laughs> no kidding. Um, but yeah, I will give both of these episodes fives. They were fantastic. I agree. All right, uh, Megalobox episodes eight through nine. Um, I felt like these two episodes went on for so long. Uh. Um, like I, I still kind of like them, but I don't know. I also felt like we spent. Almost a little too much time on this particular arc, um, especially since uh, episodes eight and nine, like the the resolution of the fight was uh, as usual. Joe gets the crap beat out of him until he figures out the one weakness, um, and the actual fight didn't feel all that much different from his fight with the war veteran. So I wasn't as engaged in the fight scene as I feel I otherwise would have been. Uh, um, there were differences. I mean, because, uh, because in the, yeah, because the fight against the veteran, Lupin never actually landed a counter. He just, held his ground until, like, the veteran's legs gave out on him. Uh, you know, actually, I was expecting it to work that this way, it worked work that way in this fight, too, because it was showing, like, because there was this whole, this whole thing explaining how, like, you know, how, uh, uh, Mickey, uh, Mikio Shirito, the, uh, the uh, the older brother of uh, of uh, you know of the uh, corporate lady and and who was you know who you know who was using this uh, like AI using this AI gear thing and it turned out like that yeah it turned out that actually like like synchronizing too too much with the gear is actually harmful to him. Yeah. And it was showing that. I was thinking, okay, like, the way this is going to turn out is that, you know, 
Joe is just going to hold his, you know, hold his own and hold out until like he self-destructs with his gear. Except it didn't turn out that way. It actually turned out that, uh, you know, Joe got by, well, through uh, another one of the AI's weaknesses, which is that the AI didn't actually know how to deal with a guy who didn't put up his guard at all. <laughs> at least at first. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, there were definitely some parts of it that I enjoyed, but I don't know. I, I felt kind of, I felt very ready for it to be over, um, by about halfway through episode nine, which I hadn't felt before with Megalobox. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't think the pacing for these couple episodes were all that good. Um, I, I can understand, like, if you don't agree, this yeah. is, I, I just tend to like, uh, faster paced stuff, but, uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think necessarily the, uh, the, I don't think there was anything wrong with the direction they took with this plot line. I just wish it hadn't lasted quite as long. I thought these episodes were great. I'm giving them fives. Yeah. Uh, I will give them fours. Um... Let's talk about Steins Gate. Uh, Steins Gate Zero, episodes 7 through 8. Uh, where, once again, we are back to uh, people asking questions and uh, Ocarine refusing to say anything. <laughs> um, <clears throat> though we do get a very good part um, in episode... Eight, I believe, where Ocarine um, gets a reading Steiner, uh, uh, and actually, uh, well, actually, it's at the end of episode seven uh, where the reading Steiner happens, and he shifts into a world line where Karisu is still alive, and Karisu basically has to tell him to stop being a moron <laughs> and do what he needs to do in the in the main world line. <laughs> Yes, or not the main world line, but his moral world line. Well, well, because as always, Karisu is the adult in the room. Well, right. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. His his world line is the beta is the beta world line, and uh, Karisu yeah. is in the alpha world line. Uh, I well, I also like episode seven. Uh actually ha did have him explaining some things to uh, uh, Mr. Brown. Uh, pretty much because he had to. Uh. Yeah, I, I, I honestly side with Mr. Brown here because Ocarine's all like, hey, I need you to look after this girl. And Mr. Brown's like, y'all, a bunch of people with assault rifles came in after this girl. Why should I do this without you telling me anything about why I should be doing this. And Ocarine's like, no, you just you just should. And he's like, nah, dog, that's not gonna fly. <laughs> so he's like, uh, let me ruin your afternoon and tell you everything I know. To which he's like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> yeah. So that was, yeah, and then, yeah, and then at the end of episode seven, 
you know, after, like, they're, they're sort of, like, putting some clues together about, like, you know, oh, wait, this has uh, something to do with Amadeus, and, but wait, Amadeus is offline, and he gets a message from Amadeus, and, and then, as soon as he gets that message, the world line shifts, and he's in the alpha, and he's in the alpha line. And because Amadeus did it. Yep, presumably. Presumably, we don't know. Presumably, Amadeus had sent a email somewhere. Well, see the the clue on that is where Carissa says, "Yeah, but I didn't finish my uh, time machine till after I met you." And then, how much of Amadeus, how much of her memories Amadeus has? And it's like, okay, so the lines got jumbled yeah. a little bit, and hey, guess what? Maybe Amadeus is smarter than anybody. And yes, I think. The Americans are hip deep in this bit. Yeah, and that sort of hints at why Amadeus exists in the first place as a plot point. Like, before these couple episodes, it was like, okay, we've got a digital Kurisu. That's cool, I guess. But what's sort of the point of it besides uh, making Ogarine awkward at all times? Driving him um, nuts. Yeah, and turns out the reason for that is because. Um, it's heavily implied that uh, um, the Amadeus system is eventually used to create a time machine in the little time machine Cold War that uh, uh, Russia and America have going on with each other that eventually turns into a very hot war. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because uh, in the beta world line, in the beta world line, you know, <clears throat> it, like, yeah, Amadeus doesn't have any, doesn't have the memories of of Carisu coming up with her time travel theory, uh, because Carisu's dead before she comes up with that in the in the beta world line. Yeah, but at the same time, Amadeus can still learn yes. like the initial Carisu does, so it's only a matter of time before the Amadeus um, system comes up with that theory on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure Ogarine stimulating the system helped a lot, too. <clears throat> yep. So, you're right. And then episode 8, it has, uh, has uh, you know, Ogarine in the alpha in uh in the alpha line yeah where Mayuri is dead and Carisu is alive yeah um which is i think my uh favorite part of these two episodes um episode 7 i i feel like even though there are some decent plot revelations it was very frustrating um partly because Ruka again kind of gets treated badly um, by Ocarine and kind of the cast because Ruka's getting dragged into these things and no one t- is telling her anything even though she clearly knows that something is up and <coughs> uh, what's what's her name uh, Daru's daughter uh, Suzuha Suzuha gives this sort of like half-baked excuse of like oh ogarine isn't telling you anything because he doesn't want you to be like part of all this time travel she doesn't say time travel but she does say like 
he doesn't want you to get involved in his world, and that's kind of a shitty excuse because he she's all she's already involved in it. Like yeah, and yeah, it, that's it, it's, like that... it's not it's not like it's not like friggin' uh, CERN or or I'm sorry, uh, CERN with an S or DERPA, which is their version of DARPA, is is gonna spare Ruka just because no one told her anything. Yeah. It's you know you, you you have crosshairs on your back. You might as well admit to finding well, out why why they are before somebody collects. Well, that's the thing. It's like yeah, their actions are yeah understandable but wrong. Yeah, I, I and I wish that I feel like the show kind of portrays Ocarine's decision specifically to keep things from Ruka as like. Uh, a, like a reasonable thing to do, um, and I wish the show would will come down a little harder on Ocarine's behavior because he's being a huge dumbass and kind of a terrible friend. Uh, <clears throat> which hopefully that's what happens later on. But I'm going to be honest, uh, we're not talking about episode nine because uh, not all of us have watched it. But that is not what happens at episode nine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I haven't uh-huh. seen that. I haven't seen episode nine yet. Uh, but yeah, I, I was hoping that like sort of after episode eight, where um, where like uh, Karisu gives him a talk about like what he needs to be doing, um, and kind of gives him the gentlest dressing down in history, uh. I was hoping that it would kind of change his behavior, um, but he has so far still not improved. So yeah, so she gives him a that's frustrating. She gives him a push. But yeah, while yeah, making out while part- making out with him. Yeah, which I thought yeah, was telling cool. Him, telling him she loves him as she pushes the button. Yeah, no, that was a, a great scene. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Why but- I feel episode eight is by far the. Uh, strongest of the two um, largely because of Carisu's presence but also because like his friends in the episode are very good as well mm-hmm. yeah right Yeah, I, yes. I, I mean Dar- Daru was going to rearrange him turning him into a pile of goo there for a moment yeah. Daru, <laughs> Dar- Daru was not happy with what he was seeing yeah honestly at this point I think Okreen is my least favorite part of Steins Gate Zero, he is just uh, well, I, kind I, of he's just he's just kind of obnoxious at this point in how reticent he is to do literally anything. <laughs> well, the the thing that we were off a couple of people were discussing was they were kind of wishing that Steins Gate would stop screwing with Ocarine and let him be Ocarine. Well. Yeah, I I feel like at some point, you know, that's what's going to happen. I just wish that the progression was a little faster. Yeah, he yeah. he needs to, yeah, like yeah, he can only solve these problems from the Beta Ward line, and in order to solve his problems, he's got to become Hyo and Kyoma again. You know, gotta yeah, which which Daru like? Oh wait, that's episode. Nine. Never mind. <laughs> Say yep. that for later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, um, I, I, I was sensing some overlap coming, so... Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about Episode 8 without the context of Episode 9, because yeah. Episode 9 is very much a direct follow-up of it, but yeah. yeah. Um, I'll give Episode 7 a 3, and Episode 8 a 5. I'm going to give them 5. I'm 4 and 5. All right, uh, finally, let's talk about uh, Sword Art Online Alternative Alternative Episodes 7 through 8. Uh, I did not get around to watching these, so once again, this will be a Ben and Larry segment. Yeah, so, uh... yeah, so in this, uh, yeah, uh, Karen uh, recruits her friend Miu to join her team. Uh, what you call that? It sounded more like Shanghai to me, but... Well, she... Yeah, once Mew's on board, uh, she goes all in. Well, see, she was she converted her character from uh, uh, Elf Online, and it looks like the character she had over there was like super powerful and everything else. So she shows up and she gets the fancy, oh yes, you're very special avatar and this that and, and so yeah, she it, it, between the two of them, they're. Uh, they become quite the duo. Well, dynamic. Well, no, yeah, I think what dynamic. happened was that uh, uh, what happened. Well, no, she she didn't. Well, yeah, she got a cool avatar. She got a cool avatar, uh, but not more than the regular the standard starting gold. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let's see. M basically gave them uh, gave them a big pile of, gave them a big pile of coin uh, to buy their equipment. Yeah. And she goes in yeah, for grenade launchers. Two grenade oh. launchers. Which is kind of amazing. Well, I, this is M's tipping the balance because Pito is going, well, planning on being killed. It's, and I think Pito actually knows that there's a setup in the works, but she doesn't care. Yeah, and... Right. Yeah, and so yeah, so episode seven, they're you know, it's them getting, you know, preparing for preparing for the next squad jam, and then in episode eight, the squad jam is on, and they and they start <laughs> they they start doing some quite phenomenal things. Yeah, the 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 uh, the guys on the railroad tracks were you know they're. Uh, they, they, they've got a circle encampment and it's like, yeah, you know, try to break our perimeter and uh, uh, Karen crawls up with the binoculars and tells her friend how to shoot the grenade launcher and she just starts lobbing grenades in like she's artillery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah was, I thought uh, that was, yeah, that was cool. Using, uh, that was very, yeah, very well played. Using the grenade launcher as indirect fire, basically as a mortar. Yeah, or artillery. Mm-hmm. Either way, however you want to look at it, because she, she was azimuth, and you know, she she just made her. Yeah, she could have been a, a rocket launcher for all week, but yeah, it was like what? It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty awesome. I don't think anybody around thought it was pretty awesome, but I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was great. What, what's also great is showing uh, is showing uh. A Karen developing into a leader and tactician. Uh, you know, where, you know, 
you know, like where her new on her new team, she ends up mostly being the uh, mostly being the brains. Whereas in the yep. previous arc, it was M who was doing the doing the tactical thinking. Yeah, and, and to where Karen runs around and says, "What am I? You know, the decoy? Yeah, you're the decoy. Keep running. Have a nice day. Try not to get shot. Be a good little decoy." It's like, uh, I I can see where there could be some some frustration with with that whole bit, and then of course you know you you have Miss Crazy out there on a rock laughing her. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because because what it turns out is that uh, is that seven teams have joined up to take Pito down, and, and I suspect it is not it, going to go well for them. Well, Dusty, in the initial disbursement, when they dispersed everybody, they took the favorites and put them all the way at opposite ends of the map, put as much distance between them as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so uh, you know they're like. Uh, Oh yeah, well you guys thought you were going to wind up in each other's lap so you could have a bang bang shoot them out. Nope, not happening. You're going to have to work for I mean, this. If you, if you didn't do that, then you wouldn't have much of an arc. <laughs> yeah, I know. <clears throat> right, yeah. So it but ends up... The, not much of an arc aside, it was like, yeah, okay, you guys got kind of had here, but yeah, you get yeah, over it. Yeah, so it ends up with uh, Pito's team, uh, where it turns out M, M is the official team leader of the team. Uh, yeah, so Pito and M and their crew are hanging out on this rock, and M's like, "No, oh, wait, wait for it, <laughs> wait for it." Yeah, we we're not gonna move until I say we move. Uh, yeah. And Pito is actually yeah. being kind of impatient. Can I go out and kill some people now, please? <laughs> and yeah, so presumably in the next episode, Pito's gonna go out and kill some people. Uh, that that arc has all the all the craziness in it that you would expect out of a crazy arc, you know. But it's like, wow. Um, I'm giving them fives. They yeah. were uh, yeah. These episodes were, well were con- these episodes were a whole lot of fun. Fives. They were well constructed too. All right, awesome. Uh, so I believe that will be it for this episode of Bogacast. Uh No listener questions from nope. the. Uh, Dragon Vore episode. Uh, so uh, I believe that will also be it for the podcast. Wow. Uh, how next... did that happen? Yeah, it's amazing. We actually uh, are Cut. just in under an hour. Um, with my pr- with my ambling, we'll probably just, just make an hour. Uh, but yeah, so I believe next time we will be talking about the first episode of FLCL. Can we commit to that? Yeah. I think I can watch Actually, that. Actually, there's going to be a there's going to be another episode. Okay, so we'll talk about the the next the first, first two, two episodes of of FLCL. Yeah. I believe it's Progressive that's yep. first. Yes, Progressive first. Okay, yeah. So we'll give those uh, a look see. Uh, talk about those at the start of the next Baka cast. Um, I'm still kind of waiting for Fate Extra Last Encore to come to uh, the uh, American version of Netflix uh, before we finish that up. I'm not sure how feasible that would be. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be coming soon, but I can't find anything definitive. Yeah, um, seem, Netflix has seemed all of a sudden to be having issues about 
shows that they said, oh yeah, you'll get this show. Well, maybe not. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look to see if I can find more definitive information on about when it will be coming over to us, uh, as opposed to just to Nap- Japanese Netflix. Um, and if it's a reasonable amount of time, then we'll finish up those reviews. If not, then we'll just use the other translations we found, uh, even though they don't seem quite as good. Um, but yeah, uh, that'll be it for this episode of BakaCast. Uh, we'll see y'all in a couple more weeks. Uh, and you can find show notes. Wait, why I already said that. You can leave us comments and questions uh, at our blog at www.projectharhi.net uh, or in the comment section at audioentropy.com or you can tweet me at StiltheGM. Or you can tweet me at Deathslinky. And I'll just watch the emails fill up the thing selling me house siding and sewer yes, repair please and send, send Larry some emails that are not spam <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the meantime I'm going to be saving up uh, $148 for this totally sweet uh, Mordred figure that's going on uh, it's going to be going on pre-sale on, in July <laughs> okay good night everybody yeah see you later bye bye <laughs>